This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, people, it is January 19th, 2024. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. And do not worry, you are not having any sort of medical emergency. If your screen is feeling a little weird right now, uh, first off, that was an AI-generated Joe Biden as our cold open. And yes, I am sitting a little lower than normal. My desk is not here uh, because uh, the set that we use for the in-person interviews was just used. I just had CIA, former CIA agent, uh, Mike Baker on the show. We just did an hour all about foreign policy and the agencies and a whole bunch more. I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was nice to get away from a little bit of the racehorse politics this week and just talking about primaries and all that. Uh, clip one of that will be up on Monday. Anyway, we didn't have time to swap over the set, so you're gonna have to deal with Dave just a little lower to the ground today. If you can bear with me, I promise you I will bring it for the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, the theme today is, uh, as we were talking about earlier in the week, uh, this World Economic Forum is happening in Davos. This is where the globalists and the central planners decide how you should live your life as they eat the Wagyu and fly their private planes. Uh, but Javier Millet, the new president of Argentina, showed up and basically told the communists to go shove it. It was pretty beautiful. So we're gonna tell you, show you two clips of that and then jump into a rubenreport.locals.com community Q&A. So let's just do it. Uh, Javier Millet got on a commercial flight. That's right, he's probably the only guy in all of Davos that did not fly private, got on a commercial flight from Buenos Aires, went all the way over to Davos, and he laid down some truth to the people that want you to eat bugs. Good afternoon, thank you very much. Today I am present to inform you that the Western world is facing a significant threat. It is in danger because those who are supposed to defend the values of the Western world are co-opted by a worldview that inevitably leads to socialism and consequently to poverty and economic deprivation. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-intentioned desires to help others and others by the desire to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We are here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world, but rather they are their cause. Trust me, there is no one better than us Argentines to provide testimony on these two issues. Okay, he went on and on. We're gonna show you one more clip of that, but like, I feel like somebody over there at the WEF was like, uh, uh, Klaus, who invited this guy? He's basically saying everything that's the complete reverse 
of the collectivist worldview, of the elites above the peons worldview that we promote in Davos every year and then we send our agents out to become politicians and media members and run institutions in all of these countries. Like that guy is poking a big hole in the whole freaking thing. A couple of brilliant things about there. So he's talking about the values of the West and the values of the West of course are based in the individual, that it is you first. Our governments are supposed to protect our rights, not give us rights. Right, You have a choice in this world to go out and do something, not just wait for the crumbs from the people above you. Right, And that is completely counter to the WEF message. It's completely counter to what we are now seeing as socialism and communism or Marxism. It doesn't even matter what you want to call it at this point as it creeps through all of these Western governments. Um, and then I, I like the line where he talked about that it's this combination really of well-meaning people, of course, you know where the road to hell well-meaning people on the road to hell, there's some connection there, right? That's where it ends up. Uh, it's the well-meaning people slash, what did he say? The privileged class. So there at the WEF, you've got the privileged class and they are telling you how to live. And then you get the well-meaning people, these progressives, these college progressive kids, and they mean well, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So the privileged class uses them and then that explains why a bunch of college kids are out there rallying for things that they know nothing about and constantly complaining while they live in the freest, most prosperous societies in the history of the world. Uh, let's just go on a little bit more, Javier Malay, on socialism and authoritarianism. Now, if free market capitalism and economic freedom have been remarkable instruments to eradicate poverty globally and we are presently experiencing the most favorable period in human history, it is worth inquiring why I assert that the West is in jeopardy. I argue that the West is endangered as in countries defending free market, private property, and other institutions of libertarianism, sectors of the political and economic establishment, due to errors in their theoretical framework and ambition for power, undermine libertarianism, opening doors to socialism and potentially condemning us to poverty, misery, and stagnation. Because it should never be observed that socialism is always and everywhere impoverishing, failed in all countries where attempted. It was a failure economically, it was a failure socially, it was a failure culturally, and it also killed more than 100 million human beings. You really need to understand, this guy showing up there is it's so powerful because first off, again, how the hell did he get the invite? I mean, I know they have to pretend that they're not as evil as they are, but he gets the invite. He shows up, he tells them everything that they don't want to hear to the point that you may remember yesterday, we played you a video of Klaus Schwab just the day before at the World Economic Forum, basically saying that their whole mission, their whole purpose is to crush and destroy the ideas of libertarianism, that too many people think for themselves and don't wanna outsource all of their autonomy. And that's a problem for the World Economic Forum. So he comes there, shows a, a different argument, I don't know that he wakes up anyone in that room, right? They are the, the privileged class. They are the elite. They've set out their agenda and they do it with all the weirdo artists that show up there and everything else. Uh, but the more that anyone watching that WEF conference 
can get some of the good ideas too for anyone that's watching it going, boy, those collectivists sure are making sense. And then you hear this guy and you go, well, that, that actually did make sense too. That, that is pretty damn good. So who would have thought that the guy really on the forefront of leading the world, hopefully out of collectivism and socialism would have been the, the president of Argentina with that crazy hair. It's just absolutely, absolutely incredible. Let's talk about the wellness company real quick and then we'll get into a community Q&A. Guys, recent clusters of respiratory illnesses in Northern China, alongside outbreaks of what's being referred to as white lung syndrome in the US are scattered across headlines right now, drawing attention to the importance of being prepared for medical emergencies. With close to 90% of pharmaceuticals in the U.S. being produced outside the U.S., what happens when the next global crisis strikes? Countries clamp down on exports. They stockpile. The price of drugs rise and the pharmacy shelves in America become empty. This is already starting to happen, actually. So what's the solution here? Well, you guys have heard me talk about the wellness company before, but when we're staring down the barrel of times like these, their medical emergency kit is a must-have. The wellness company is home to Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Drew Pinsky, and truth-telling doctors who are rooted in their commitment to building a parallel healthcare system and empowering you to take control of your health. In a time when over 40% of Americans say they would avoid a doctor or hospital unless it was a catastrophic situation, the wellness company's medical emergency kit provides a solution. This handy little kit includes eight potentially life-saving medications for you to keep on hand, along with a guidebook for safe use. The medical emergency kit includes emergency antibiotics, antivirals, antiparasitics like amoxicillin, z and ivermectin to help keep you and your family safe in the face of natural disasters, supply chain shortages, or medical emergencies like white lung or COVID. Go to twc.health slash Ruben and grab your medical emergency kit right now. That's twc.health slash Ruben, which will save you 15% at checkout. And now back to me. All right, let's dive into it. Here we go. Janine says, hey, Dave. We will soon be taking the plunge and moving out of communist California. Congratulations. But I gotta be honest, our current neighborhood and home have made our status quo rather comfortable. And I'm nervous about silly things like, will the shower have water pressure the way I like it? Will the transition from a gas stove to electric stove drive me bonkers? Are there any, are there any creature comforts you miss from your home in LA? Or were there any unexpected things in Florida that took some getting used to other than iguanas enjoying your pool? Well, it's not the iguanas in my pool that's a problem. It's that Clyde is constantly mauling iguanas and I have to clean up blood and I find wagging tails of iguanas, like tails still alive, but the iguana's gone. That aside, um, well, actually you bring up one of, one of my few big ones. So the area that I happen to live in the suburbs of Miami, we did not have natural, they, they weren't hooked up for natural gas. So we got here and we had an electric stove. And as you guys know, we're, we're both quite good chefs. David's particularly good. And you know, generally chefs don't wanna cook on electric or induction stoves. Uh, so we had propane tanks put in and we had to get new stoves and it was a pain in the butt with the kitchen and had to move things around. Um, but yes, so if you are leaving your electric stove, uh, sorry, if you're leaving your gas stove where you can control that fire so beautifully and you're moving to electric for the first time in your life, like you may wanna look into doing propane, that's one thing. Um, you know, getting, I lived in LA, which is, which when LA was right, was, it was the high end of everything. So you could get, you'd go to the perfect salon, you'd go, everything was kind of the, you could find all the best doctors, the best dentists, all that. It's been a little more of a challenge here, but uh, you know, all the trade-offs for the freedom and that the government is not in your way. It's actually just kind of protecting you, sort of some of that Javier Malay stuff. It is all a good trade-off. You're going to save some money 
on taxes. And I know it's never, it's never easy to move. You know, I, when I talk about this stuff and people, oh, everyone always responds, they say, but you know, my parents live here, or I have this commitment, my family's here, my kid's in school. I'm never saying it's easy. You just have to ultimately decide what is best for you. But if you guys are, have finally decided to make the move, uh, I think you're gonna love it here. And I look forward to finding out a little bit more about the journey. Uh, Koppel says, howdy, Dave. I was wondering if Trump is a shoo-in for the Republican nominee, I was wondering why DeSantis would stay in it. Could it be that the remainder of this run is actually preparation for 2028? Well, first off, I, I don't know that he's a shoo-in, but as I keep saying, he's the presumptive nominee at this point. And in that we know DeSantis is not gonna do well in New Hampshire. He never was gonna do well in New Hampshire. The polls have, it's basically Nikki and Trump at 40-40. DeSantis at literally like four. Then there's Nevada, which that's kind of Trump country. Maybe DeSantis does okay there, but it's a small state. And then, and then of course, South Carolina is the big one before Super Tuesday, but Nikki was the governor there and Trump is most likely gonna win that. Um, what I would want from DeSantis right now is if he believes that Trump is not a shoo-in, then you gotta just lay out the plan. Just lay out the plan. I'll, I'll put the video up and a gajillion people will put the video up. I don't even need to comment. Here's the plan. And then I, and then I could kind of go with it a little bit more. But unfortunately, I haven't heard that. So my sense is that this thing, it is going to be Trump. Uh, as I've said on the show the last couple of days, look, Trump, especially pre-COVID Trump, was a good president. If you put aside the sideshow, and I know that's hard for people, and you put aside the mean tweets and whatever, and, I, and again, I do want Trump to level up, and that's what I'm gonna really work on over the next year, not just not just bowing, but but actually trying to push for some of the things. And I think that that is something that could make him better. Um, if you, if you look back though to those first two years, the economy was chugging along, uh, the Middle East was in peace, we had peace deals, more peace deals were on the way. Lowest all-time black unemployment, lowest all-time Latino unemployment. Like I get it, the left was apoplectic, the media was going crazy, Nazis, rah. But like in reality, it was going pretty good. So I think he, it looks like he's the presumptive nominee and, and if I'm wrong, and I know a lot of the Team DeSantis people watch this, like literally on the team, um, let me know so we, so we can talk about it, obviously. Uh, Ginny says, hey Dave, how much has running your own business changed your political worldview? I understand you were always out there as an entrepreneur in a way, trying to make it as a standup, et cetera, but it seems that owning a business that employs other people would make a pretty big impact on how a person sees this world. You know, I used to talk about this a little bit more a couple of years ago, but it was hugely impactful to me. So when I, started uh, the production company that now runs the Rubin Report and then ultimately you know, we started a tech company that created Locals. It was really just about creating the Rubin Report community first and then that worked so we were like, let's spin this off to other people. That's where the idea of Locals came. Locals ultimately merged with Rumble, et cetera. Uh, but when I started the production company, and then we started hiring people and we, we've built several studios now. I don't even want to think back to how many studios we've built. And then you run into issues with regulations and you start looking at taxes and you're paying payroll tax and you hire this person and all these things. I was also in the same process. Now we're talking, you know, like six, seven years ago, I was in the same process of talking to a lot of libertarian economists. I was thinking about taxes a little bit differently and all that. So what was happening was I was kind of learning the intellectual side of these things and putting them into practice in my life at the exact same time, which was pretty beautiful. And then, you know, if I flash forward now to just these last two years, we move here to Florida, where I obviously save a lot on income tax, but as you know, that was not why I moved here. Um, but all my employees save on income tax. That's more money they can do with whatever whatever they want to do with. Um, the 
to build things here and do things at my house. There's less regulation, there's less red tape, like all that kind of stuff. So I would say all of my learning of, again, to get it to that Javier Malay thing, like the libertarian side of things, that you should do things for yourself and then you'll start doing things for your community and then we'll go up this way. Um, it was completely in line with what I was learning on the show, so it worked out nicely, I guess. Uh, politically Homeless Mama, that's a good name, says so many Republicans will endorse Trump just to defeat Biden and many Biden voters will vote Biden just to defeat Trump, it's lose-lose. How is vote blue no matter who uh, that any different than you don't have to be a Republican, but you can't be a Democrat. That's something I say often, obviously. What is the option for reasonable people in the middle? For the first time in my adult life, I can't even choose the lesser of two evils and hold my nose to vote. It's disheartening and demoralizing. Um, I really appreciate that comment, and it's partly why, again, if Trump is the nominee, that my, my intentions will be to push him to be a little bit better. Um, and I know nobody really, it seems like nobody can really affect him, but I think if enough of us talk about the issues, like not from we're trying to destroy you side, but like, oh, there's there's ways we can do things a little bit different, a little bit better. Maybe you can have some better people around you, et cetera. Like maybe they can move him a little bit, but I completely hear you. There are a huge amount of people that, and this was one of my fears with Trump becoming the nominee. If DeSantis was the nominee, he might be hated by the media and people can say, he don't say gay and blah, he's scary and he took out Mickey Mouse and all that stuff. But there isn't the abject level of bananas insanity related to him. And because there is related to Trump, we know that millions, it's, it's literally millions of people that would not have voted last time on the left, on the Democrat side, are going to vote because they're gonna vote anti-Trump. That's just real. That is just a real thing. They have created this idea that he's orange Hitler and it's gonna cause people who otherwise wouldn't have voted or would have been apathetic or might have voted third party to, to vote Biden or whoever the de Democrat nominee is. So that, that's an issue. Um, my argument when I always say uh, that you don't have to be a Republican but you can't be a Democrat is the Democrat party is completely insane. I'm not telling you the Republic, Republican party's that great. It's good here in Florida, but the National Republican party, they, they mostly kind of suck. And partly another reason why I don't want every, I don't want to be in a party that everybody bows to the dear leader. So again, that's, that's sort of why I, I don't consider myself a, a kind of national uh, Republican, but it's also why several times on the show this week, we played clips from RFK. He's an independent Kennedy name. Can he get on these ballots? Maybe that's a little more in line with your views. I suspect it probably is. Um, you just have to make whatever decision is best for you. But yes, I think you quite well summed up what most people are feeling right now. Like, if this thing ends up as Trump and Biden, it doesn't matter if you like one more than the other or anything else. It's just like, that's, we all know this is not what the country deserves right now. Like this, or not, no, no, we might deserve it because we're the people, but it's not the thing that is going to get us out of the much grander problem. And it's just gonna add more to that. And I think that in and of itself is a spiritual problem more than a political problem. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Mantra says after an extensive and beloved bourbon discovery, I'm interested in exploring tequila and I've started a small collection. 
While I enjoy sipping, I'm not finding a lot of depth and variety of flavor across different sources. Can you give me a brief tutorial on the fundamentals of this liquor and how best to enjoy it? All right, the very simple version of tequila, you've got your Blancos, that's the very, it's unaged, right? So it's the agave plant, but it's not aged, it's straight up, it's clear, that's what they're making margaritas out of, that's what they're making, um, uh, what is it with grapefruit juice? Uh, Paloma, sorry. Um, that's like the cocktail drink, right? So generally, I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't find just drinking a, a Blanco tequila like straight up or on the rocks, I don't find it that enjoyable. When we've been in Mexico talking to tequila sommeliers, a lot of them really do like it because that's where you're getting like the most pure, pure flavor because it hasn't been aged in, in casts and casks and all that. Um, but that's generally, most people don't do that. Just drink like straight up Blanco tequila. Then there's uh, Reposado, which is aged for three months, uh, sometimes in bourbon barrels, different kinds of barrels. And then there's Anejo, which I think is aged six to nine months, if I'm not mistaken. And then there's uh, Extra Anejo, which can be aged over nine months, which you're gonna get a much like richer flavor, darker color, all of that. I like, I don't like just straight up uh, with no ice. I, I like it on one big rock. I would say invest a couple bucks. You can get beautiful uh, circular uh, ice cubes, one rock, nice glass, little tequila, swirl it around. I would say, so you want richer flavor, it sounds like. So go to, you could probably skip Reposados. I actually usually like Reposados because it's warmer here. So I like something that's like a little like lighter, um, but you could probably go right to Anejos or even uh, extra Anejos. And um, trying to think, I don't want to give you a brand because we're working on our tequila and I don't have like an extra Anejo brand because it's not really my thing. Um, just keep tasting them. It'll work itself out. <laughs> Drink tequila, goodbye. Okay, uh, Cool Mom says, the racist label is still going strong. I want to be able to change the minds of liberals around me in New Mexico. I believe your viewers, myself included, see the left as racists based on the narratives around black people being able to get an ID, blacks getting abortions at higher rates, the welfare system enslaving blacks, et cetera. Are there legitimate instances where it can be argued that Republicans make inherently racist policies? Well, first off, I would say you do know that the Republican Party was founded in, with the very idea of eliminating racism. That was the split between the Whigs and the Republicans. Uh, but putting that aside, at the moment, like right now, could there have been policies over the years, Southern strategy, things of that nature, could there have been policies over the years that the Republicans instituted that were inherently racist? I'm open to anyone in this room throwing me one, but generally the policies that were race-based in America came from the Democrats. And the things that have harmed the black family the most, like the welfare state and encouraging Black women, it was generally black women, you could have been a poor white woman too, but generally black women to have as many kids as possible, get those kids on the dole. Uh, things like um, you know, keeping rent down, so sta uh, rent stabilized apartments, things of this nature, it kind of sounds right, but then eventually, if you have certain people in a building paying market share, so they're paying what the apartment's actually worth, and then someone down the hall is paying some rent subsidized thing because of their, largely because of the color of their skin and they're getting money from the government and EBT cards and everything else. They never wanna get out of that cycle of poverty. That's not because they're lazy by the nature of the color of their skin. What it is is because if the government starts handing you something and you're like, boy, I don't really work and the government gives me, I don't know, a thousand bucks a month and my rent in this place is only 200 bucks. That schmuck down the hall, his rent's 4,000 bucks. 
Like, why would I ever get off the government dole? Because then I'd have to leave this apartment, I'd have to move to a different borough, et cetera, et cetera. So the Democrat policies, while well-intentioned for the most part, right? And you could argue, I suppose, the same argue that Javier Malay meant, uh, said that I think you could probably argue that the, the elite layer of the Democrats many years ago realized this was a great way to kind of crush this community and keep them voting Democrat, give them crumbs and they'll keep coming back. And then there were, I would say, well-meaning people that thought, oh, if we just give these people something, they'll be able to catch up. And it's just not how human nature works. Uh, Kevin says, why do so many Americans of Jewish descent support the left, especially now that the left has shown itself to be anti-Israel? Well, I do think that is changing, but the, the real answer to your question, I think we've talked about this a couple times before, uh, is that Jews as a minority understand what it is like to be a minority. So they have largely been at the forefront of movements for equality. So if you look at the pictures, any of the pictures, you can Google them right now, of Dr. Martin Luther King marching with people arm in arm, a good percentage of the people that he was marching with, marching, uh, with were Jewish people because they were understanding of the plight of them to get to equality, right? It was the country clubs that first didn't want the Jews and then also didn't want the black people. So as Jews got equal rights, then ultimately black people got equal rights too. The march towards equality is always a just cause. I think what happened unfortunately was once the march towards equality got to equality, people, people just did not know how to recalibrate. And unfortunately that left the left, which as Jordan Peterson often talks about, when does the left go too far? The left never knows when it goes too far. So a series of people who I think were in it for the right reasons, and that gets you to that good intentions thing, they just kind of went off the deep end. I'm very happy to say that in the last uh, three plus months since October 7th, I've seen an awful lot of Jews who suddenly, even some in my own family and friends, people that stopped talking to me years ago, like suddenly like, Dave, oh, maybe I kind of do get it about identity politics and maybe there was something wrong with the woke thing. And oh, I guess calling for genocide at Harvard's probably not great. And, you know, trying to, you know, endlessly all day long destroy the one Jewish state when there are dozens of Christian majority countries and dozens of uh, Muslim majority countries. Like maybe there is a little bit of a problem here. But as you guys know, the, the, the left likes their minorities oppressed. And Jews, by becoming successful, were not an oppressed minority. This goes largely for most Asian communities. This goes largely for Indians as well. I'm talking about Indians from India. And once you don't fit into that calculator, once you don't fit into that thing anymore, you're gonna be pushed out on the other side. It's just, uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, let's see, uh, Terry says, after Larry Elder lost in the recall race, why didn't he run in the next gubernatorial race? He could have had momentum and made a difference. Uh, so for those of you that uh, don't remember, so Larry ran as a Republican in the recall election. So first there was a recall of Gavin Newsom and it was very complex. I think 2 million people signed the recall. You had to hand sign it. They made it so hard because it was in the middle of COVID. So you couldn't do anything. They're telling us to do everything online, but the recall thing, you had to sign in person. I remember exactly where I signed it. I was I used uh, somebody on their back. They let me sign it, and you could, if your if your signature touched the line above or below, it would be it would be eliminated and not counted. They made it really complex to do, but anyway, the, the recall went forward, and then Larry got. Can we check how many uh, votes Larry Elder got? I think it was about two point five million votes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he did lose to Gavin Newsom, and then they subsequently last year had another election. 
I think he just decided, hey, I gave it a shot. Uh, this is a one party state. He's staying there and fighting. He is, he is from South Central, wait, is he from South Central originally? I think from South Central LA. Uh, parents from Los Angeles, like he's a Los Angelino. He is fighting for California and I, I fully respect that. Like obviously I respect it. It was a good worthwhile fight that, that we did and I'm glad that I was part of it. Um, let's see, I'm getting the numbers on. He got 3.5 million votes. So think about it, 3.5 million people, which is 28%, voted for Larry Elder in the recall. Obviously it wasn't enough to dethrone Gavin Newsom, unfortunately. But in essence, I think he felt that that was his, that was his chance. He did, I think I can say this, Larry, don't be pissed if I'm not supposed to say this. The night after the recall failed, we had Larry and his, uh, his girlfriend come over, girlfriend, they've been together for years, but uh, they came over for dinner and he told me that he was gonna run for president that night. And I was like, are you nuts? And, and he actually did it, so uh, he, I just love him, he's just great. Uh, we Can Save America 2024 says, Dave and the Rubin clan, you guys have a unified, passionate, and loyal community here. However, like all families, we don't always agree. In this business, you need to have a very thick skin. How do you deal with mean, rude, and angry comments? Are there mean, rude, and angry comments in there? I very rarely see them. I, I, I don't see them that often in the locals community, so I would say if you're seeing them, um, well, first off, if people are being like absolutely insane, I think in the years, all the years that we've had the locals community, I think we've banned one person. And my policy, I don't even remember exactly, it was somebody that just would not stop posting and fighting with everybody. We asked them to be respectful, they wouldn't do it. And of course the locals policy was, we're not banning you off the platform, you're allowed to be in anyone else's community, I just didn't want you in my community. Like, you know, sort of like, I don't invite everybody into my house to say whatever the hell they want, but you can say what you want outside. Um, I honestly haven't seen too much of that at all. I think usually people are. I know there can be some heated stuff and I think probably in the last 10 days or so as the as the Trump DeSantis thing started burning hot, but I'll, I'll keep an eye on that. And I would say just don't take it too much to heart. We're, you know, we're all, we're all keyboard warriors. We all say things this way that we would never say this way. And uh, yeah, just you, you close the app every now and again if it's getting to you. Uh, Elise says, in your heart of hearts, do you think Trump can be significantly better as a politician than he has been since 2020? I don't know, I don't know, but that's why I tried to say the things that I've said in this last week about him being a little bit better. Like, like if you really think about it, what are the chances that a 77 year old man having gone through what he's going through with the court cases now, the craziness with the media, all of that stuff, like, did he learn lessons and change in any way? And if he changed in any way, how would the people who love him even react to that? Let's say he got a little bit softer and started seeming a little more thoughtful or whatever it is that anyone might want out of him. Like, would that be, would he view that as a sign of weakness? Would the, would the other side view that as a sign of weakness? So my guess, my ultimate guess is you get, you're gonna get exactly the same thing out of him but maybe, maybe, and again, this is where I'm gonna keep pushing him, maybe if he can surround himself with a few better people, but, but again, he has a long track record of taking people out that he brought in, so you don't know who's gonna to wanna to work for him, but maybe we can do a little bit on the margins with him. And if we can do that, and if, if they don't unleash uh, disease X or whatever, then it will probably be better than the, look, at the end of the day, if, if a Trump administration took over tomorrow, would it be better or worse than what's happening right now? Well, there's every reason to think they would at least do something about the border, right? They would probably lower taxes 
a little bit, that they would do something there. Um, I think there would be more reason to think that Hamas might be like, all right, we better uh, return some of those those hostages, especially the American ones, because who knows what that crazy orange guy is gonna do. Uh, Putin might feel a little bit like, uh-oh, we can't walk all over the Americans anymore. So even if he's just still as nutty as ever and everything else, I still think it's a little bit better than having a guy who's clearly not in charge and also who has dementia and you know a woman that really seems like she didn't graduate second grade behind him. Uh, Amy says, in your opinion, what band and also which solo artist is the most overrated? I am sure I'm gonna get a lot of shit for this, but I don't like the Beatles. I don't like the Beatles, I've never liked the Beatles. It's just noisy, it's a lot of sounds at once. I don't, in, I just don't, I bet the Beatles never were played in my house. You've all been here for many parties. Have you ever heard the Beatles here? Never. There will be no Beatles at my house. Connor's freaking out. He's about to cut the feed. Um, so, and what solo artist is overrated? Uh, I don't like that Kanye West. Not a fan. Not a. I don't like the. Uh, I don't like that kind of music. <laughs> or the hate and the Jew thing. Uh, Rosie says, Dave, regarding your show yesterday and communicating with Trump about refraining from his old shenanigans and holding accountable to integrity and truth telling. Do you plan to go through Don Jr. to do this? How do we communicate with Trump so he gets the message? I was in the DeSantis camp, but want to see Trump successful, and that is the way the majority's going. Thanks. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I love the fact that uh, that the audience of this show is all over the place, right? Like when I look at the comments, especially in locals, but on Rumble and YouTube, like my audience is everywhere. There are Trump people, there are DeSantis people, there are lefties that are just waking up. We've got a whole bunch of them right now because of October 7th, who I talked about, who are kind of on the way. The audience is all over the place. And again, that's why I can only just tell you what I think and you'll either agree or disagree and, and hopefully at least be entertained a little so you come back. Like that, that's my, what I believe my job is, right? And my purpose in all of this. Um, as for how to get to Trump, I mean, I think there's a couple ways. One, just do the show and the more people watch, like Trump is a man of media. And you know, if I say some good ideas that maybe get repeated on some other shows and then things start kind of percolating up the zeitgeist, maybe that gets to him. Um, I, I actually haven't reached out to Don Jr. this week yet. I will. I didn't want to text him like the day after and be like, okay, how you doing, man? Like, looks like your, your dad's going to get it. Um, like that just seemed kind of silly to me, but I'll, I'll reach out to him in a day or two, or I'll reach out to Ivanka. And uh, I, I sense that Junior would have, well, no, for sure Junior has more connection on the political side, I think, in terms of influencing his dad. Um, so yeah, I would talk to him, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I'll see Trump. Like, I, I just don't know, but I think there's many ways to skin a cat. Uh, Talway says, with so many disaffected liberals now being pushed to the right, there's a theme today, what are some of the things you believe traditional conservatives and common sense liberals need to focus on to have any hope of coming together to win in November and what topics should they avoid at all costs? Well, I'll do the, the latter part first. I mean, I think the main one that everyone should just kind of, if you can agree to disagree on, is abortion. There was no way that, that the liberal from Cali who's for seven month abortions, or not even seven months, for 20 week abortions or 15 week abortions, was ever gonna agree with Ron DeSantis six week abortions. So if you're a pure pro-lifer and you see someone waking up on the other side and suddenly they're like, you know, the gun, gun thing, I guess I was wrong on that. And I guess, I guess policing is good. And I'm starting to see that education's kind of screwy. And I guess you shouldn't chop off kids' dicks. And there's a couple other things. Well, you might wanna welcome these people over, but if you start going into abortion with them, it's off the table. I've seen that happen a gajillion times. It's particularly with women, but I've seen that happen a million times. You don't have to agree on abortion. You don't. 
But I think that's the one you just have to shelve. I would say the things that you can largely agree on uh, are just have them turn, there are reasons that they're waking up. There, there are reasons that I talk about that group of people all the time, and it's not just because I was one of them. It's just obvious that, the, that if you look at all of the types of people that could vote one way or another, that could shift parties, the disaffected liberal who's just like, this Democrat party has gone freaking bananas. Those are the people to get. Now there's probably a version of that on the other side, and it might be percolating right now. There's probably the type of Republican who's just like, I've just freaking had it with Trump. Maybe I voted for him last time. I can't do it again. I'm seeing that. I mean, I'm definitely seeing some of that. I don't think that's as many people as, as maybe could go in the other direction. Um, so I think you just, have to, you just have to show them. It's like, well, it's not racist to want school choice or be involved in what your kid earns. It's not racist to be against affirmative action and want people to be judged by the content of the character. Like, if you've watched this show long enough, you know enough of those arguments. And I, I would say more than anything else, you could take the classically liberal position of being willing to agree to disagree, uh, but do not take the position of putting tolerance at the, the most important piece of it, where you will then allow the intolerant people into your home. A Florida man Chuck says, since the Democrats blow and the Republicans suck, you guys know where I got that from, by the way? You know, I feel like Connor would know. She both blows and sucks. You don't know where I got that? No, that's Spaceballs, the giant maid. The giant maid in Spaceballs. She, she's gone from blow to suck. Uh, since the Democrats blow and the Republicans suck, if Trump does get reelected, do you see swamp creatures like McConnell will try to side with the Democrats to obfuscate and block Trump from, front, from trying to turn the country around? Yes, yes, I do. I do. Mitch McConnell is 8,000 years old. He has been in DC for 6,572 years. The man is, is wedded to that more than he is wedded to America. I don't talk about Mitch McConnell that often. I don't even know how many times I've, I've mentioned him on the show. Occasionally his brain shuts off and we've shown you those clips. But like the type of people that have just been there forever, when people talk about the deep state, and I don't mean it in a conspiracy sense, but the, the, the machinery that's in Washington that just exists over time, Time over time, administration over administration, doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican, but that seems to be the thing they wanna protect. Trump seems to be the threat to that sort of, sort of thing. So I could absolutely see if Trump came in there, and, and I'm sure there are stories about this. I, I have no doubt there are stories about this. When Trump came in the first time, McConnell was going, well, hey, I, I like the operation that we kind of have going here. Now I'm Republican, so I'm a little more one way than, than these crazy people over here, but I don't want to blow the whole thing apart. And by the way, I don't know that we have to blow the whole thing apart. There are ways you can change things on the margins. You know, you blow the whole thing apart and you might find out that boy, what you had was actually pretty good. And you didn't, you did not realize it. You know what? Why don't you guys comment below, not only in locals, locals is where I go for all my comments and you guys actually enlighten me on things often more than, than plenty of the other pundits do. But comment below on Rumble, on YouTube, et cetera. We'll have the team jump in, we'll look around, and we'll see how uh, we can keep shaping things going forward. I'm gonna always tell you how I see it, but it's nice to know that with a wide audience that you guys are seeing things a little bit differently. Uh, if you wanna join us and get a question in on our next Q&A, rubenreport.locals.com. Reminder, we've got a new X slash Twitter account for the clips of the show. It's at Report show. Uh, and if you did not see our show yesterday, it is my Iowa recap and my primary recap with my co-host, Megan Kelly. Part one of my interview that I just did, which again is why I'm sitting a little lower than usual because we had to rearrange the studio with uh, Mike Baker is up on uh, Monday. That's all I have to say. There's no post-game show today. 
because I'm actually in New York. I'm on Gutfeld tonight. Okay, goodbye. And I appreciate the World Economic Forum providing me the opportunity to be on this stage and say, F you, Klaus Schwab, and F your new world order. We, the people, were born free. We will stay free. And you and all of your globalist friends, including everyone in this room, can go f yourself. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.